All right. Hi, everyone. Happy Thursday. I'm super excited for today's show because we have special and exceptional guests today. Uh, it's none other than Lior Gavis, CEO of Monte Carlo and Ryan Keynes, uh, lead data scientist at Monte Carlo. We'll be discussing about data downtime, data observability, about the new book that uh, a few days back I announced about, uh, which was Data Quality uh, Fundamentals, a practitioner's guide to building trustworthy data pipelines and much more. You also have a chance to win the book. So do not forget to type in hashtag Monte Carlo to win uh, the guide. All you need to do is type this in the chat and you'll enter the raffle. I'll make sure that I'm letting the folks know about it in intervals as they join. But uh, for sure, if you're wanting a print copy, don't forget to type in hashtag Monte Carlo. We'll be announcing two winners on the show, one towards the mid of the show and one towards the end. So that's going to happen. A little about our guest, Lior Gavish is the CEO, as I mentioned, and co-founder of Monte Carlo, a data reliability company and creator of the industry's first data observability platform backed by Axel, Redpoint Ventures, GGP, Iconic Growth, Salesforce Ventures, and IVBP. So before... Uh, prior to Monte Carlo, Lior co-founded cybersecurity startup uh, Sukasa, which was acquired by Barukhada in 2016 at Barukhada. Lior was SVP of engineering, launching award-winning ML product for fraud prevention. Lior holds an MBA from Stanford and MSc in computer science from Tel Aviv University. Ryan Queens, uh, our second guest, is a, co a founding data scientist at Monte Carlo, where he develops machine learning algorithms for the company's data observability platform. Uh, together with CEO and co-founder Bob Moses, he instructed the first ever course on data observability with uh, O'Reilly Media, the first tutorial on the subject using out-of-the-box SQL. Ryan recently graduated from Stanford University, where he earned a BS in computer science and BA philosophy. Congratulations, Ryan. All right, we are, I already see folks typing in Monte Carlo. Uh, do not uh, forget to type in the right spelling, otherwise the raffle won't pick up the entry. So, uh, Sean, don't forget to type in Monte Carlo with the right spelling. But Amanda is here. Hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining in. And without any further ado, let's bring up our guest here. All right. Hey, Lior. Welcome to the Robert Show. Hey, Ryan. Welcome. Hi, Robert. Very nice to be here. Hey, it's Robert. Great to be here. To have you both. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to have you both here. And obviously, today I'm super excited to discuss about data downtime, data observability, and about the recent release, Data Quality Fundamentals by O'Reilly. Uh, so can't wait to hear more about it. We also have Sharon here from O'Reilly. So thanks for joining in, Sharon. All right. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Lior, uh, Ryan, I know I gave a little background about uh, you guys, but why not introduce yourself and tell us more, uh, you know, about what do you do at Monte Carlo and a little about Monte Carlo as well. Maybe Lior. Should I go first? Okay. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm, I'm Lior, one of, one of the co-founders of Monte Carlo. I started a company uh, with Bar. Uh, our, our CEO. Uh, it was about three years ago. Um, I mostly focus on the product and engineering side. I'm a, an engineer by training, turned a data scientist at some point, uh, and data engineer uh, by necessity. And, uh, um, and, and over the years, uh, just experienced so much data downtime. We'll talk about it later. But uh, uh, I spent so much downtime on, uh, you know, in, in the things I was building. And um, at some point, you know, when, when I partnered with Bar on this, it kind of uh, seemed obvious that uh, this is a problem that's going to be, that, that actually everybody experiences, everybody that's working with data, and that um, it's going to be extremely valuable uh, and interesting to, to try to solve it in a, in a more uh, consistent and methodical way across uh, organizations and and uh, and so we start Monte Carlo around that that idea. Okay, yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Um, so my story is a bit more recent than than Lior's with Monte Carlo. I actually mm -hmm. got in touch uh, with Lior actually right around two years ago. Um, mm -hmm. I had been working at GGV, which was the venture firm participating in the Series A um, of Monte Carlo at the time, 
And I was, I was looking for a way to spend uh, some time that wasn't at school during the pandemic. And uh, some of my contacts at GGV said, you know, we're really excited about this young upstart company, Monte Carlo. They gave me Lior's email address. And, uh, you know, here I am two years later. So I've worn the uh, data engineer hat here. I've done a bit of kind of backend and front end work. And then I kind of fell into the data science stuff early on into the products development when we were starting you know, our initial anomaly detection techniques. So I've engineered some of the algorithms that do um, a lot of our monitoring capabilities. So today I'm working on a lot of those and a lot of like custom built root cause analysis stuff um, at the company as well. Okay, that's a pretty cool story, Ryan. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously working for Monte Carlo is huge. So fantastic job there and good stuff that you're doing. You mentioned you are a data engineer at heart. So obviously my next question was around that itself, where, you know, how do you see data engineering space evolve over the last few years? Like we've seen so many new tools, so many new categories joining in. So would love to lo learn more about it from you, but uh, maybe Leot, you can go for it. I can go first. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite exciting. I think, um, you know, uh, in the last few years, data engineering has really become, become glorious and, and for a good reason. Um, you know, uh, suddenly you see everybody wanting to be a data engineer, uh, which is really, really exciting. I think what's driving this is just, um, the huge growth in uh, using data um, to do a lot of things in business, right? And there, there's, you know, starting from the, the analytics, uh, which is always there, but is now becoming more and more prevalent with people uh, adopting, you know, dashboards and data for literally every part of business and using it daily. Um, but also, you know, we've seen the, uh, the prevalence of, of, of machine learning uh, rising, right? People trying to use uh, predictive methods to uh, power, you know, features in their products or um, parts of their business, like like marketing and and, and pricing and 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 whatnot. Uh, so that's been exciting too. And then um, on, you know, we've increasingly seen the adoption of uh, data and analytics as a core part of digital products, right? Um, and data gets sold essentially to customers and, and um, there's strong dependence on data. Um, and so uh, with all of that, um, you know, we're seeing companies having to take their data pipelines much more seriously, right? It's no longer that you, uh, uh, you know, run a query on the data warehouse, uh, put it in a binder and hand it over to someone once a quarter. Uh, you're actually using data all the time, every day for a variety of different use cases. And so, uh, data engineer has engineering has become um, this important foundation of like how do you even do that at scale? Like how do you get all of the different data sources that you have together? How do you uh, transform and prepare that data to be used? And how um, and even more important, like how do you enable like the business to make use of that data? Right? Like uh, we're increasingly seeing not just data engineering team, but actually data platforms um, that are building a foundation um, on which, you know, analysts and data scientists and analytics engineers um, and a lot of other people are actually building data application or data products, what we call data products, right? Um, and, and data engineering really is, a, is a, at the core of all of that. And um, and, you know, in, in the last few years, we've, we've just seen that recognition and, and that of the importance of the role. And we've seen like very smart people, uh, you know, moving over from uh, software engineering or from the analytics side and becoming data engineers and becoming really professionals uh, in that space. And we've also seen the stack kind of evolving really nicely, right? Uh, with, um, with the quote, quote, modern data stack um, really giving, uh, data engineers' uh, superpowers uh, that they didn't mm -hmm. uh, used to have. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's my my take uh, on, on data engineering. Okay, that's pretty uh, interesting. And uh, those were valuable insights out there, Lior. So thanks for sharing those. Uh, Ryan, how do you see it? Because I know for a fact, uh, you, you know, it's been a while since you've been doing this now. 
So how how did you see that this almost two or three years back, and how do you look at it right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Even in the time Monte Carlo has been around, um, in the time we've been you know working on data quality fundamentals, there's been quite a development. Um, I think Lior encapsulates it very well with this shift towards you know more cloud native. Um, uh, companies in the space being truly data driven in the way they run their business, and that um, that that has these immediate effects on like the data engineering profession. And um, you know, if if you're going to be data driven, you need more data, you need it faster, and you need the format to be more flexible. Um, mm -hmm. So you need to be able to accept you know different types of payloads, uh, different different types from various endpoints, and integrate those all together, um, you know, at scale at speed. Uh, with like high uptime. And so this is really the perfect storm for data observability to take shape because you've got these pipelines that um, are really hard to maintain. They scale faster than they can be sort of maintained with uh, the human eye, so to speak. And this is, this is kind of the um, perfect platform to, you know, you, you find this pain of uh, my data is down, data is inaccurate. Now I actually can't run my business. It, it gets to the level of, um, impacting the, the bottom line, the ability for the, the business to do its work. Um, and I think data observability was sort of the inevitable re response to that move towards, you know, more cloud native, more um, at scale, high speed and flexible formats, data lake formats and what have you. Okay. The, yeah, those are pretty cool insights, uh, Ryan. Thanks for sharing those. Also, uh, you know, I know there are a few questions in the audience. I'm surely going to pick. Uh, so don't hesitate, guys, to ask questions. I'm starving them, so I'll be asking Lior and Ryan uh, as we go ahead. Uh, but, to, you know, obviously, uh, we've, we've learned and uh, we've heard a lot about data downtime uh, from Monte Carlo. And uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of the folks who are joining us today have this question, what is data downtime? So can we start with data downtime and get into the weeds? Uh, sure, yeah, I, I could go ahead. It's, it's actually pretty simple. Um, but by the way, before I clearly define it, I'll just say, um, you know, we, we, we borrowed, uh, we can't claim uh, credit for, for the downtime word. We actually borrowed it from DevOps. Uh, where it's kind of a really well-established um, term. Um, you know, everybody uh, knows what it means when, when an application is down or when a mobile app is down or a service is down, right? And, uh, and teams measure their downtime uh, to understand how well they're doing from a reliability perspective and to manage it to certain standards of quality or certain SLAs. Um, that their business requires, right? And and um, we've borrowed the term downtime and applied it into the data world. We think, you know, it's equally important as Ryan mentioned, like when a business relies on data and data product to run and to deliver its own services, um, you actually care about times where your data is, you know, wrong or inaccurate or, you know, otherwise erroneous, right? Or otherwise does not meet the quality standards that, that the consumer is expecting. Um, and so, uh, you know, defining uh, those times where, 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 where you're basically letting your customers down, in a sense, um, and measuring it uh, systematically uh, and managing it to, you know, to an acceptable level um, is really what, what, um, uh, what data ops is about. Uh, and data downtime is essentially the most important KPI, right? Eventually, mm -hmm. like, you want to know that there's, you know, as little time as possible uh, where your consumers can't use the data that you are producing as a data team. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, that sounds uh, pretty straightforward. Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I've actually just got a good example of this. I think Lior has encapsulated mm. it very well. Um, there's one, actually, we were talking about it at Monte Carlo earlier. Um, 538, which is this um, popular polling platform for um, mm -hmm. kind of US uh, political races. Right now they're covering a lot of the midterm uh, polling that's going on for the upcoming midterm election. Um, they actually issued a public correction to one of their forecasts um, to do with the midterm elections where they had uh, missed a data set in the process of, of um, formatting this, uh, this, this polling result, this speculation. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they made a series of corrections to their actual polls as a response to that, some of the changes are as big as 15 percentage points and they sort of, they flip uh, the favored candidate for a number of uh, congressional races. And so this is kind of a, a good example highlighting, you know, 538 data really is their product. They rely on accurate polling insights to, um, to show this to their customers. Their data was down. As a result, they were delivering erroneous uh, predictions for like wow. a large number of uh, cases. And, and they were really good about it. They noticed it. They found the actual root cause of their, um, of their issue and fixed it retroactively. But those are the types of things we're talking about, you know. Um, data down means that the, the product really can't work if it's data driven. Yeah, I think uh, a very nice uh, example out there, Ryan. Thanks for that. Awesome. Uh, we'll, we'll be taking a few questions. Let's see. Uh, we have a, a question from a student here, Ryan. I think you might be the one who could answer this one because uh, you started back then. So being a student, what is the best way to start your career in data observability? Very interesting. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I, I kind of stumbled my way into it. And so uh, maybe the path I took is, is maybe hard to replicate. Um, but I studied computer science in school. And so I did actually a, a focus on artificial intelligence. Um, mm. And so in school, I did a lot of kind of, I guess you could say the more academic venues for AI research. So I did a lot of deep networks, a lot of natural language processing and um, RNN, CNNs, like computer vision type tasks, um, that whole assortment. Um, and I sort of made the migration to data observability um, by, I guess, applying a lot of those skills. I use a lot of Python in my job mm -hmm. and I learned that at school. Um, but I also learned SQL um, here at Monte Carlo, actually. And now the majority yeah. of my job is done in SQL. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend that pathway. I'd say if you can be taught mm -hmm. it in a more structured setting, probably be a bit faster than I was. Um, so there's there are sort of tools of the trade, you know, when it comes to knowing SQL, knowing um, Python and how to, how to run experiments in, in the notebook format. Uh, there's a whole you know, technical rabbit hole we could go down here. But um, I'd say at a, at a high level though, just being kind of aware of the trends of the tools that people are using, um, the data space, all of tech moves extremely fast. And so you'll hear about the stack constantly changing. Um, being on top of that is kind of hard, but it's generally a good idea to uh, be aware of what, what tools are used. Um, and then ultimately, you know, the, the core building blocks, being familiar with, with Python and, and like pick your favorite um, uh, programming language of choice, plus SQL and, and some database concepts um, are a very solid way to build kind of the, the technical skills there. I can really speak to the technical side. Um, obviously, there's a lot uh, of other stuff that goes on at a, at a company building a mm -hmm. data observability product, but um, that's my high level uh, uh, advice. Yeah, I'm sure. Helps Dax to uh, learn more about it. Uh, it uh, and good advice there, Ryan. Thanks for that. Um, uh, also, my my next question would be, you know, how did you guys come up with the idea to tackle the problem of data downtime? Like, what was the starting point that you decided that okay, we'll be tackling this problem? Maybe yeah, later. great, great question. <laughs> um, so we. Uh, I'll give a little bit of my background and that, that kind of sets the stage of, of how we ended up working on it. Um, and, and Var, my co-founder, would have a kind of a similar story. Um, so uh, after uh, school, I started a company, uh, like you said, Ravid, uh, in the cybersecurity space. And um, if, if anyone here has worked on cybersecurity, uh, you know, mo modern cybersecurity is a lot about data at the end of the day, right? It's about uh, collecting data and, and putting together the right pipelines, right analytics uh, to be able to identify um, patterns and issues that indicate a security problem. Um, uh, you might even use machine learning to do that, right? Um, so not exclusively, you can also use the kind of more uh, standard analytics. Um, and so uh, over the years, um, I ended up spending a lot of my time on uh, solving uh, certain cases of fraud um, 
of, of pretty targeted and, and severe kinds of fraud um, that are hard to tackle using the more traditional kind of rule-based approaches to fraud. Um, just because uh, attackers started uh, personalizing um, uh, their their attacks and making them like very unique, you can no longer detect uh, uh attacks just by looking for what you've seen in the past. It doesn't work anymore, right? Um, right. And so uh, we were using um, a, a data approach to it, a, a machine learning first approach to it. Uh, the company got uh, ended up being acquired by uh, Barracuda, which is a, which is a, a public uh, cybersecurity firm back in the days. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up leading the engineering team there. Um, and uh, our system was um, highly reliant on data, right? Um, if the if the data pipelines, uh, if the machine learning uh, models don't work as expected, uh, the system is just useless, right? Um, and so, and 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 um, you know, it it did happen. Uh, unfortunately, like I have to be honest, it did happen. We did, you know, disappoint our customers um, in certain cases, and and when it happens. Um, you know, we're exposing them to uh, severe kinds of fraud um, that are very costly for them, right? Uh, and I started thinking about um, those times where we disappointed our customers. Um, it was more often than not because of, of what we now call data downtime, right? Um, and when you ask yourself, why does this happen? Uh, you know, uh, because usually downtime is because your servers are down or you, uh, you know, put a bug in production or your database is overloaded or whatnot. Uh, Wes is coming from the, you know, from the data reliability aspects of the system. Um, the, the answer to me was kind of, that was a light bulb moment for me. Um, it's because we have pretty robust methodologies and tools to tackle the application and infra side, right? We can manage it to like a certain level that's acceptable to us. But on the data side, um, we were flying blind. We we're kind of uh, shipping things and hoping they will work. Obviously, at some scale, that doesn't fly anymore. Um, and and so that was kind of an, an interesting um, observation. And uh, Bar had a similar experience, um, actually more on the analytics side. She would she was helping teams um, use data to do customer success. Um, and um, the obvious conclusion was that Bar and I really suck at what we do, um, but then <laughs> we thought maybe maybe there's uh, maybe there's another explanation. We went out there and, and actually talked to over a hundred uh, data teams, um, and wow. and we figured out we weren't alone, right? Like we just saw, uh, you know, everybody's struggling with the same problems. Um, everyone's finding it a nightmare. Everyone's like not sleeping at night, worrying about the, you know. Angry Slack messages they're going to get in the morning when things, uh, you know, don't work. Um, and so we thought, hey, you know, that maybe there's an opportunity to uh, apply some of what we learned um, um, and 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 build a solution that can be adopted, right? And 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 if you think about it, Monte Carlo is not just a solution; it's also, you know, we had to shape the methodology. Like there was no established manner of doing data liability, and so Monte Carlo. Uh, you know, when we started, um, we actually started from like, okay, how do you put together a process uh, and an organization to actually deliver a reliable data product? And then from that, like, what are the tools that um, the people are going to need to deliver on that? Um, and then observability was kind of like the obvious, uh, you know, building block that, that we thought was most impactful and most important. Um, and and that's kind of where it all started. And then we met Ryan, and he uh, he completely crushed it and and built a great solution. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, I would love to hear your experience as well when you heard about it, and when you obviously uh, learned from you know the problems that Leor and Bor obviously identified. In you know obviously after talking to so many data teams, it's kind of interesting because you have those insights ready. But at the same time, now you have to work on it to make sure that you're going and solving those problems. So how was that for you? And coming from, obviously, 
if I'm not wrong, you were at the university and then, you know, obviously you kind of get into it and you start tackling, you, you know, you start thinking at a corporate level. So how does that work? And how was that for you? Yeah, it's, it's a big wake up call actually going uh, straight into the industry and um, w- working at this scale at this speed. Um, like I yeah. mentioned, like the, the real time uptime is uh, something you don't get to see in school so much. So I was very familiar with this um, maybe old fashioned concept for data science where you've got this uh, purified data set that sort of arrives magically in the form of a CSV file. And you mm-hmm. can um, take that and, and parse it and run uh, detection or you can run prediction um, with some really high powered models. And like the, the beauty of that problem is in you know uh, modeling the, the algorithm correctly. And I sort of joined industry and immediately learned that that was uh, a really small piece of the puzzle, but actually the majority of the value was found in arriving at that pristine CSV file to begin with. Uh, it's like not something you take for granted. It's really hard to um, uh, produce data sets that regularly are up to date that have kind of a full um, representative sample, right. right? That you can actually do meaningful machine learning on. Um, and, and, and yeah, like, I think uh, Lior and Barr deserve this enormous amount of credit for conceptualizing this problem so well, you know, before even putting pen to paper, so to speak, or or starting to write a single line of code. Um, They had done such a good job sort of encapsulating the problem for uh, for businesses. And it was sort of up to us on product to turn that into a real vision. Like, how do you actually solve for data observability in a way that every team can understand that's not just for this one, you know, group of people who thought about it. Um, and that's still evolving today. I think also, you know, the book is a big step towards uh, formalizing some of those notions, but it's very much still an active conversation. We're learning about how these building blocks fit together and um, what the best responses are improving time to detection, time to resolution and uh, prevention of data downtime. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's a big space. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's in. I have to, I, I just have to add like one thing that, that Ryan does extremely well um, is he is, and, and, and this is something that we care a lot about as a company is uh, very customer oriented, right? Um, mm-hmm. This is, uh, and, and this is something that I think is, is not obvious, at least wasn't, wasn't obvious to me coming out of school um, is that, uh, you know, we all come in with a lot of like, hypotheses and a lot of ideas and um, some of them are good. Some of them don't hold water. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. only when you, um, only when you meet real customers and kind of have them try what you do and give you feedback and, uh, you, and, you know, meticulously collecting that feedback and, and refining your, your ideas and your methods to, uh, to address the, the pain that the customer has is, uh, is incredibly valuable. And, and Ryan picked it up very quickly and, and has done it extremely well. So, um, you know, that it, it's part of starting any business and it's particularly important in, in, in a kind of a new category like data observability. Yeah, I think hundred percent, you know, with the customer feedback, with the customer, you know, that, that importance to the customer when you have those insights coming from them, it kind of makes a lot of difference for your product as well. And how you apply it there kind of takes you a long way. And that's how we've seen with Monte Carlo, obviously, you know, uh, being one of the strongest vendors out there uh, in the data observability space. So kudos to the team. I'm I'm sure you guys are hustling around. It's just that, uh, you know, uh, it takes a lot when, you know, you have to get the right feedback from the customer as well and then implement and work towards it. So... Uh, well done on that. Uh, but Ryan, also you spoke about uh, the book and uh, the recent book. So obviously, our uh, you know it's time for us to announce the first winner as well. Let's go out and announce the first winner for those who you know put out uh, hashtag Monte Carlo in the chat. Uh, already thirteen people who put out. So let's let's do the first raffle. And this is what I was talking about. We are uh, Ryan that we'll be picking up winner. Uh, we also will be also be picking up second winner uh, towards the end of the show. So folks who are, uh, you know, have just joined, don't forget to type in hashtag Monte Carlo and we'll be picking up the second winner in the same way towards the end. Let's do the drum roll here. Let's see who the winner is. 
the winner gets one print copy of data quality fundamentals the new book by monte carlo michael oh michael sutter uh congratulations i saw you just uh obviously you were just checking in that uh uh will there be a recording so yes there will be a recording but congratulations on winning a print copy you also get a chance to obviously read about the new book from monte carlo which is the data quality fundamentals what i'm also doing is sharing a link with everyone who wish to you know quickly go and you know want to download the book here's the link for everyone to check out the book so don't hesitate to go get the access monte carlo has been kind enough to uh keep it open for everyone out there and there's the link go and check out the book awesome um something some questions around the book obviously uh but before getting into the book uh, one question that i had for both of you was we've seen and heard so much uh, uh, also according to you know gartner data quality is costing companies millions every year so how do you plan to help uh, companies with this like i'm sure you'll be telling a lot around what and how you've you know mentioned everything in the book but just in general uh, how how are you looking at those problems and how are you solving those problems for the companies out there Yeah, I can get started, and Ryan, uh, uh, I'm sure you'll have a lot to add. Um, it's um, so uh, again, we're uh, borrowing uh, practices that are well understood in, on the software engineering side and, and on the DevOps side. Uh, but basically, um, the idea is that um, data downtime is essentially a function of three things. Uh, it's first, like how many incidents you have an incident refers to something in your system that creates um unreliable data right um and, and it could happen for a variety of different reasons it could happen because your data one of your data sources changed in a way that you don't expect or it could happen because um you know someone pushes a code change that has unintended consequences or it could be an operational issue in one of the pieces of infrastructure that that process data Um, whatever it is, uh, there's like this uh, number n, like how many incidents you have, right? Um, and then when you do have an incident, uh, there's kind of two factors that really matter. Uh, one is what we call time to detection, which is how fast you can tell that you have an issue, right? Um, as long as you don't know you have an issue, uh, you have data downtime, right? It's lingering. Um, and the other part of it is like how... fast can you solve the problem how fast can you resolve the issue uh once you've uh learned that it exists and that that's called time to resolution yeah. um the approach to um and, and and remember our goal is to minimize data downtime right so these are the three levers that we have um and so um the solution to data downtime it's called observability i, I we can talk about what it means devos but um the the objective is is to minimize those three parameters right and the first one that's kind of maybe the most straightforward to understand is time to detection right how long is it before you know when you have a problem in your system how long is it before you know you have a problem um and the the way you do that is you start collecting a lot of information about the system a lot of uh, metrics and metadata and logs of all your different all the different parts of your uh of your data stack whether it's the web data warehouse or the ETL tool or the BI tool um uh or uh or really any any part of it um and uh you start monitoring um all that information for changes right um simple example um uh you can look at what we call data freshness um so basically in a typical data system every uh piece of data every data set will get updated you know a certain number of times per day or per hour or whatnot um you can actually track that metric freshness um and create um you know alerts to the to, to the people that build the system when uh a when when a, a certain piece of data stops updating as you expect it to right that's a very simple example Um of course you you can get more and more sophisticated and start looking at the data itself and various um 
uh, you know, constraints that, that you, you believe should be true about your data. But, uh, but fundamentally monitoring the data and observing mm -hmm. uh, what it's been like and alerting when it doesn't, when it deviates from your expectations um, is the kind of first step towards solving uh, data downtime, right? If you know that something is happening, you can actually react to it, you can fix it, you can communicate about it and, 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 and minimize data downtime. Um, the second part um, that, that we tackle is, is the time resolution piece, right? Like how long is it? Um, you know, once you know you have, an, let's say you get an alert, hopefully from your observability tool, but you know, first comes to worst from, you know, angry consumers of your data. Um, and um, how long is it before you can actually pinpoint um, and, and address that issue um, and resolve it and, and, you know, backfill if you need and, uh, and kind of get to a, to, good, to a state of good data. Um, the way you do that or the way you can help people do that is by, uh, it's actually pretty similar, by collecting all the information that I talked about, all of that metadata and logs and metrics and making it really easy for uh, the people that are managing the incident uh, to start correlating this information, right? Okay, so I have a freshness problem, but you know, um, what is the process that has been updating that table? How has it worked in the past? Um, what is going on there right now? Are there any errors or issues? Are there any changes to that system that's updating the table uh, and so forth and so on? And so um, by, you know, by helping people understand how the, all the dependencies, uh, lineage essentially, uh, works in the system and how each component is working and all the different changes and errors and issues that happen with it, uh, you can actually help people uh, get an answer much uh, faster um, and resolve the issue much faster, right? So you can actually take it from uh, weeks, uh, you know, oftentimes we talk to our customers, it takes them weeks to, to figure out what's broken mm -hmm. in the data system. Uh, you can actually shorten that to minutes if you have all the information in one place in a way that allows people to correlate and understand uh, how all the different pieces work. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, once you've addressed, uh, and once you're able to detect issues and, and resolve issues, um, there's also this question of like, okay, why do I have those issues in the first place? Uh, how can I reduce the number of issues that I'm experiencing, right? That's, that's the other big factor here. And, um, and so you can think about tools that help you understand um, the architecture of your system, the dependencies, uh, what are the critical assets that you have? What are the parts that are being most used? What are the parts that are most likely to break? Um, how, how long does it take to um, address issues in various components? So you can start thinking about your architecture, about how to simplify it, um, about how to, how to streamline uh, workflows, how to streamline processes, how to streamline teams, uh, so that you fundamentally improve the reliability of your system um, in, in kind of a more proactive uh, manner. So th that's that's the high level. Of course, there, there's a lot of detail to that, but uh, Ryan, uh, if you have a, an example or anything to add, it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, th I think you've done a really good job spelling it out, right? Um, there's prevention, time to detection, time to resolution. Um, data downtime, the cost of data downtime to a business is just quantified by those, right? So pretty much everything we do on product is aimed at solving one of those verticals. Um, Lior mentioned uh, freshness detection or Mm -hmm. data freshness as a problem. Um, so freshness detection is something that we work on on the data science team here, uh, which is really just a, it, it's an unsupervised machine learning problem. This table, you know, updates like this, and there's a delay in its update. Um, is that delay a cause for concern? Um, maybe yes, maybe no. And you have to kind of be careful about that, right? Because if a table only updates on weekdays, you might think it updates once a day, um, but you don't want to detect on an event on Saturday. Um, if it's just not going to receive data on the weekends. So, the, you know, classic like time series anomaly detection um, problem there. Actually, in the book, uh, chapter four of the book, there's a bit of a deep dive into some of these technical concepts to kind of see under the hood of uh, anomaly detection for uh, data freshness issues 
and, and some of the other um, pillars of data observability, we call them. So like distribution's another one, you know, what's my rate of null values in this table or what's my rate of unique values? Um, you can ask questions like, uh, you know, is the fields that contains the credit card hash ever null? Because if it's null, you, you can't bill off of that um, row, right? Or if uh, a value is non-unique when you expect it to be unique, you might have some operational issues stemming from that. Actually, we know for a fact that um, big companies like Netflix has had issues like this before, where they thought tables were fully unique. They actually mm -hmm. contain duplicates and that just fully broke an entire system. That's a result of a data, data downtime problem. Um, yeah, but, um, you know, Lior spelled it out super nice. There's um, all sorts of things to get into with uh, data freshness, the lineage of different sources, uh, things like the root cause that you can track through the course of an incident, um, and preventative measures too, the type of questions of like, we'll see customers where we have um, monitor setup where we'll say, okay, here's a table that updates once an hour. We can tell from the query logs that the query is getting longer and longer every time it runs. Uh, mm -hmm. So you might not have a problem now, but you're, you're about to have a problem because this table updates once an hour and the processing takes 57 minutes or something. So like we're running into danger here. Um, you can do all sorts of observability in those different categories. And yeah, the book kind of dives into different verticals in, in a lot more detail than we can say here. So uh, I'd invite you to, to check that out, basically. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing those points, uh, Lior, Ryan. I think uh, those are like the secret sauce points that you just bring for uh, the folks out here and uh, appreciate it getting into those detailings because it kind of helps the uh, you know the folks who kind of want to learn more about the space, about data observability, and this kind of brings them closer. We also have a few questions. Let's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm surely going to ask you what kind of inspired you to write the book and all of those things, Lior. So, but uh, before that, let's, let's take uh, a few interesting questions here. We had a comment here from Sean. She says data quality is the key to develop all good data products. We all agree. Awesome. Uh, we had a question here from Emmanuel. Let's take this one. How does Monte Carlo address issues of downtime during data migrations where data sources switches from one system to another? Very interesting question. Yeah, that's a great, uh, uh, that, that is a great question. And, and, and um, actually Monte Carlo has been used extensively to, bow, to, to help data migrations complete successfully. Um, mm -hmm. Not necessarily in the way that you'd expect um, in the sense of, uh, actually validating, you know, validating the, you know, the new system versus the old system. But, um, and, and, and um, the way, uh, the way a, Monte, uh, a solution like Monte Carlo helps is um, first and foremost, by helping you understand your current system so that you can actually plan a successful migration, right? Um, so a, a couple of the things that are particularly helpful. Uh, one thing uh, is that, uh, a good observability solution will give will automatically reconstruct your system's lineage, right, all the way from sources and to data products, right, to the dashboards. Um, it won't only do that; it would actually help you understand what are the most um, used or important uh, assets in that entire uh, graph, uh, if you will, right. Um, and in a mature data system. Um, you, you know, we typically find thousands of different data tables and, and sometimes tens of thousands of reports um, and, and sometimes hundreds of machine learning models. Um, and if you're trying to migrate something like that, you know, uh, good luck. Where, where do you even start? Um, how are you even going to validate that the new system is working the same way the old system did? Um, if you have access to lineage, if you have access to uh, your most critical assets, um, you can actually plan your migration, right? You can uh, certain certain milestones. Um, you can actually understand. Oh, if if I migrate this asset or this pipeline to the new system, um, you know these are the dependencies that I need to validate. These are the dependencies that could be broken, right? Um, and so having observability in place as you uh, as you do the migration is uh, is is kind of a force uh, multiplier in a sense. Hold 
That's, uh, I'm sure that answers for Emmanuel. Very nice question, Emmanuel. Thanks for those insights, uh, Lior. Uh, another quick question here. Um, obviously, Kate uh, is from Kate, but she also had a comment. She's looking forward to the Impact 2022 later next month. Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. I saw the lineup. It will, it's absolutely fantastic. Anything that you want to talk about uh, Impact, Lior? Oh yeah, uh, it's a very exciting conference. Um, I had a great yeah. time last year, uh, and this year, you, you know, it was hard, but we tried to to, to surpass and top what we did last year. Uh, so we have a, a great uh, speaker lineup. Some of the people that are going to to talk there are uh, Nate Silver, um, the the author of Five Thirty Eight, and and a bunch of great wow. books about how to use data, uh, and the Nobel winning. Uh, um, uh, Professor uh, Kahaneman, who wrote uh, a bunch of great books that use data to actually answer uh, questions about human behavior, uh, not mm -hmm. a straightforward thing to do. Uh, but we're also going to have great people from the um, from the modern data stack industry. So the CEO of Databricks wow. is going to be there, um, CEO of Fivetran, of DBT, um, uh, and many other um, you know crazy interesting people. Uh, they've done great things with data. So, um, you know, I, I'm personally looking forward to it. It's uh, it's less than a month out. Uh, and, and, I, <laughs> and and we invite everybody yeah. to, to join in. Awesome. It's uh, definitely a great lineup. I already saw it. I've registered. I'll be there. And can't wait to obviously look forward to it. Uh, also, Kate had this question about Monte Carlo. How does Monte Carlo differentiate from its competitors? <laughs> Very interesting. Good question. Um, so um, I would argue, um, uh, you know, probably the TLDR is um, Monte Carlo is probably like the only data observability solution. Um, there's a lot of tools out there that would help you manage data quality and data reliability. Um, all of them fall into the category of testing or monitoring. And I'll explain what it means and how it's different from observability. Um, testing and monitoring are a very effective strategy to start putting reliability into the system, right? Testing basically means um, you're going to write a bunch of predefined logical conditions that will, you know, fire off or break your pipeline if they fail. So like a very simple example, um, if you have a, an ID column that you, uh, that you really care about, you might add things like, you know, once the, the, the IED column is calculated, let's make sure it doesn't have nulls, let's make sure it's unique, uh, things like that, right? Um, and that's great at doing that sanity checking uh, and making sure that the basic things that the developer, um, you know, understands could break, uh, making sure that they're not breaking. Um, so that's kind of the first layer. Um, then you start getting into monitoring, uh, where you start saying like, hey, you know, I'm going to start uh, taking, you know, a few metrics about my system, typically a few metrics. So, um, you know, maybe I'm not going to break my pipeline or write full tests about everything, but I might want to make sure that, um, but I might want to track the volume of records that I have for my users table um, and make sure, and, and, and maybe I'll even put alerting there to make sure, hey, it doesn't cross, um, you know, I'm not getting fewer than, uh, whatever, a thousand users a day because I know I'm going to have at least several thousand users every day. Uh, and maybe I want to know it's not, uh, crossing 10,000 users a day, right? Maybe I might even use, um, you know, a basic kind of machine learning algorithm to, to make reasonable predictions there rather than setting thresholds. So that's, that's the monitoring piece, um, where observability comes in and where the real power of Monte Carlo is compared to, to alternative solutions is, um, is in that idea of optimizing all three parts of, of the data downtime equation, right? So testing and monitoring um, are focused on tied to detection, right? Like how do you uh, make sure you know about issues? Um, and they're also limited in scale in the sense that you have to predefine everything like you have to predefine what are the metrics that you want to collect and like what mm -hmm. are the cases where they would alert or pick the pipeline um observability um is about 
um, collecting all of those metrics across the entire pipeline automatically out of the box and also augmenting that with the logs and the metadata uh, and the integrations um, across all the different parts of the stack um, to make sure that you can all, they can not only optimize DTT, but also time to resolution and, and, and the overall number of incidents that you have. Um, and so it's kind of a fundamentally different solution that's designed for far more um, scale, if you will. Uh, and so like a mature, data team would um, would really need observability. Um, whereas earlier in the process, you could probably do well with testing and monitoring alone. So um, okay. that's kind of yeah. how we view it. Very cool, uh, Lior, thanks for that. Uh, um, and nice question, Kate, uh, thanks for asking that one. Kind of brings up a lot of uh, insights. So, Okay, coming back to obviously the book, uh, I, um, uh, I wanted to uh, understand a bit what would leaders learn in data quality fundamentals and what are the most important topics that are covered in the, in the data quality fundamentals, right? Maybe you can tell us more about the book. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot to talk about with the book. It's, um, it's an extensive work. I mean, uh, everyone who contributed to it added, added a lot of, kind of years of thinking um, so there's really too much to say. Um, what we've tried to do in the book is divide uh, sections that sort of map the journey towards data observability so that you can mm -hmm. um, learn about, you know, first what the problem is, and then sort of get a grasp for the vocabulary, um, go through some of the kind of um, best practices from a technical perspective, and then also a, a more cultural perspective, like in terms of the... Um, uh, the types of operational moves you would do as a team to optimize for data observability. Um, so just kind of cherry picking from the book, you know, chapter one kind of talks a lot about, okay, what is this new problem? What's data observability? Why do we care about this now as opposed to 10 years ago? And how does it differ from monitoring um, and uh, alerting? Kind of just as, as Lior has just explained for us a second ago. Um, Chapter two, you'll start talking about, okay, what, what vocabulary am I using here? So you start getting into the weeds of um, actually resources you could get elsewhere, but like what's the difference between a warehouse and a lake? Um, what is ELT versus ETL uh, versus reverse ETL? And when would I use each? Um, what are the typical layers in the modern data stack? So we talk a bit about how integration layers work. Um, and we talk about you know, the structure of, of data in warehouse systems. Um, mm -hmm. and kind of give a sense for the ecosystem so you know which, you know, component pieces you're building with, um, the, the BI layer as well, integration with um, BI and analytics. Um, chapter three, we talk a lot about best practices for data cleaning, data pre-processing, uh, the types of things to look out for, certain pitfalls like um, checking against null rates and how to sample from distributions effectively, um, a chapter that would be useful for data professionals, including machine learning engineers. Um, chapter four, we're like in the weeds talking about some anomaly detection techniques. You actually do get to experience kind of um, implementing your own data observability solution firsthand in some SQL that's pretty accessible. So it doesn't uh, rely on any particular toolkit that um, is new or uh, transient, say. Um, and I mean, I, I could keep going, but I think um, the sense you get is that there's a lot of these little verticals in the book, whether you're um, an executive who's used to looking at data from the top level and understanding its impact on the business, um, or whether you're a data engineer and you're really down in, in the trenches and like firefighting operational issues as they come up. I think the book's got something for all of those different personas. Um, and it sort of paints a picture of how we thought of it, uh, what we've done so far and sort of where we're going, how we expect this, um, field to evolve as the, uh, as the industry moves more cloud native, more um, data focused. One of my favorite parts of the book, by the way, is um, we actually take the time to uh, bring a lot of uh, real world case studies of how companies mm. dealt with data quality. So you'll find, um, you know, uh, interviews uh, and narratives of how oh. Uh, companies like um, Fox, for example, uh, that that is, I think, the largest uh, Redshift deployment on the planet, 
um, how they do, how they approach data quality and data, data observability. Um, mm. We have leaders from companies like Slack and Facebook and Airbnb explaining how they tackled it, uh, you know, in their companies. And so the book is actually goes, um, you know, beyond the, you know, the Monte Carlo uh, approach to things and actually gives a, a thorough survey of how the industry as a whole is stacking it and really tries to pick out, you know, the best ideas and the best approaches that have, you know, that have been battle tested uh, in recent years. And so um, it's, it's really kind of a nice, uh, uh, nice, nice guide. And, and like Ryan says, it, it, it can cater to both, um, you know, leaders uh, that are guiding uh, their, their teams and their strategies and, and, but, but also to people that are, building the systems hands-on with a lot of kind of practical um, uh, advice on, on, on how to make those systems more, more resilient and reliable. So um, nice. re really enjoyed working on this book. Oh yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I know I, when I was looking at the book on the Monte Carlo website as well, yeah, I guess it's the last chapter, chapter, the chapter nine, data quality in the real world. So those are like, uh, that chapter is really interesting in, uh, you know, we're on the same page on that, Lior. I kind of like that chapter as well. So uh, for those, obviously, who wish to learn more about the book, uh, obviously, we're doing the giveaway. But for everyone, it's available on the website. And I did share a link with you guys here. So you can actually go and tune in. You can uh, just go and access the book for free and, you know, learn more about data quality. That brings me to one very important question. Um is around uh, the data quality itself, but how, do, how does the future look like for teams when it comes to applying data observability and proactive approaches to tackling data quality? What do you guys think about that? Ryan, do you wanna go first? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll try to keep it brief. Um, there's a, a cool future ahead. I think this conversation is just getting started. Um, mm -hmm. The book is a great kind of uh, instigator for this, this type of conversation. You know, what are the best practices? Um, how do we put structure and vocabulary to this problem of data quality and data observability? Um, I think there's a lot spelled out there in how we have sort of learned to, to deal with this problem up until now. But um, there's still work to be done at Monte Carlo um, and everywhere. I mean, I, I know that firsthand. There's a lot to be done at Monte Carlo. Um, in terms of the novel approaches we can do towards, you know, more intelligent root cause analysis, um, better detection algorithms, better integration across like a whole lineage um, of different data platforms um, and integrations. So we can, we can kind of ever more improve upon better prevention, better time to resolution and detection. Uh, that's a massive kind of unsolved problem. I'm honestly just excited for um, what this book's going to start in terms of a dialogue on the best practices in the industry for it. Okay, pretty cool. I, I would yeah. add uh, just my two cents here. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think, you know, be, um, like Ryan said, there's a lot more that we're going to do in terms of building capabilities and enhancing, uh, you know, and giving data engineers superpowers uh, as they try to make their system reliable. I think the biggest change that, that we're already seeing that I think will, will reinforce itself in the next uh, few years is just um, the adoption of, um, of, a, of an ops practice, right? And data observability in particular, right? Um, if, if you're a software engineer listening, um, you know, you, you probably can't imagine um, even building a pet project without having certain DevOps practices in place, um, including monitoring and observability, right? Like you wouldn't even imagine, um, you know, doing your job without it. Um, and I think we're going to get there on the data side as well. I think data teams are, are going to feel uncomfortable uh, building uh, without having, um, you know, strong practices and strong tooling to uh, to proactively man manage the the reliability and the trustworthiness of, of their end product, um, and, and foundationally, it's the biggest change of all, right? Like you can you can use Monte Carlo, you can use other methods to to accomplish that, but I think the most important thing is just um, you know 
uh, think about it. Um, it's a foundational part of, of what you're doing, right? If it doesn't work, it's some, in some sense, you didn't do it. Uh, and so uh, just starting to think about how to make it reliable, how to measure that, how to proactively improve upon it, I think is the most important piece. And I, I, I see data teams are kind of doing that across the industry. Okay. Pretty cool, interesting uh, insight, Ryan Lohr. Uh, obviously, before we jump on to our next uh, winner, uh, announcing our next winner, I wanted to ask what's next big thing for Monte Carlo? Um, wow, uh, so many things. Um, but uh, from Monte Carlo's perspective, um, we're very excited about continuing to um, um, you know, better support our customers' uh, stack, right? And mm -hmm. you know, we started out in the early days from data warehouses, and then we expanded into um, BI tools and data lakes. And uh, this year, we, we released our, uh, you know, our Databricks integration, and we're the only solution that fully supports uh, Unicat Unicat catalog and data tables and uh, and all that great innovation from Databricks. Um, uh, going forward. Um, we are continuing to, to deepen our support for DVT and Airflow, uh, which are uh, you know such an important part of, of the modern data stack. Um, we're also going to support uh, streaming solutions, or a lot of our customers are are adopting streaming for for various use cases, and uh, creating observability into that is is going to be critical. Um, so that that's it from the kind of. Those are the near-term, you know, exciting items on the on the, uh, on the stack coverage side. And then, um, as Ryan said, we're continuing to create um, powerful tools for people to uh, correlate all that information to um, accelerate their process of, of of diagnosing and solving problems, um, and getting wow. back to the things that that they like to do best, which is build data products. So. Awesome. I think you've summed it up very well. And I really like the approach where, you know, you bring the customer first, you have that approach at Monte Carlo and really appreciate that. Uh, I'm sure your customers are super happy that way. Awesome. So it's uh, time for us to go out and announce the second winner. We already have oh, 20 entries. Our first winner was Michael. Michael, congratulations. Let's go and announce the second winner. The second winner gets a data quality fundamental print copy. So let's do the raffle here. All right. If Michael wins again, we'll, we can draw again. So let's see. Okay, Chetan, Divanji, congratulations. Uh, you win the data quality fundamental book by Monte Carlo. And for those, obviously, who couldn't win today, uh, you can still go and check out the book online. It's available for everyone. I've shared the link again with you guys in the chat. So don't hesitate, go read out. I think uh, I absolutely love the book. I had also shared it when, or, you know, a few weeks back when it was published. So I highly recommend to read you, read this one. Uh, thanks to you all for writing uh, and to the whole Monte Carlo team for, you know, coming up with such a great book out there for everyone, all the data engineers, aspirants. So very, very cool work. So one last question for you both today. I know you, you guys have shared amazing insights, all the stuff, but if people still have questions for you, I know we might have not taken all the questions. But if people have questions for you and wish to reach out to you, which where can they reach out to you? Leo? Um, so first of all, thanks, Ravid, for, for having us on the show. It's, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed the, the questions and, and uh, uh, the people. Um, uh, if anyone has any questions or wants to connect, I'm, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, actually, Leo or Gavish. Um, G-A-V-I-S-H, I know it's a difficult last name, uh, but you're more than welcome to find me and connect with me and, and, uh, and write. Um, I'm also uh, available, um, you know, if you, if you go to the MonteCarloData.com website and, and reach out to our team, I'm, um, you know, they'll, they'll happily connect you with me. Um, so yeah, looking forward to, uh, to, to hearing from everybody. 
would love your feedback about the book, obviously, if you have any thoughts, uh, things that, that, that were particularly useful, uh, or more importantly, things we could have done better. Um, you know, we, we welcome all feedback. Awesome. Amazing. Ryan, where can folks reach out to you? Yes. So LinkedIn is also a good, um, a good platform for that. Actually, you can probably find me tagged in some of the Robert show, uh, announcements about this exact talk. It's a good place to go. Um, and on medium as well, I think you should be able to find my medium profile as Ryan Kearns. Um, I write a bit about this type of stuff. Um, I'm publishing nice. blog posts with Monte Carlo, um, that are sort of bite-sized takes on this same general idea that you get in longer form in the book. So happily check those out. And of course we welcome any feedback, um, about that writing. We'd, we'd love to hear it. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you very much, Lior. Brian, such a pleasure to have you both on the show. And uh, thank you everyone for joining us today and asking some amazing questions. Feel free to reach out to Lior and Ryan on LinkedIn. And you can also check out the Medium. You can check out uh, the book on uh, Monte website. I've shared the link. Thank you, everyone. Have a great evening, Ed. Take care. Thank Bye. you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, everyone.